Thank you, Pastor. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity to preach the Word of God. Uh, God has called us to, I don't even know if the name has a, uh, the ministry has a name, but really what we'll be doing is eventually we'll have a team uh, together. In kind of a Barnabas ministry, we'll be going to uh, newly established churches and to be able to help those uh, churches along, go soul winning, um, help their choirs uh, with uh, singing ministry, help their uh, deacons, uh, their children's ministry leaders or youth ministry leaders, whatever the case may be. And I'll just be a blessing to that church, help them grow, help them get on their own two feet. And uh, really just be a blessing to the pastors, allow them to take some time off maybe, and uh, I'll be able to preach for uh, the pastor while he just takes some time away and gets some rest, some must-needed uh, needed, uh, realization. And um, just be a blessing to the pastor, be a blessing to the church family that way. And that's what God has called us to. Uh, we're praying about the timetable, uh, but uh, whenever the Lord has us to uh, set out on that path, then uh, we'll be ready and willing to, <coughs> to go. Excuse me. Let me uh, introduce my wife and uh, my daughter. This is Jacqueline, and she is holding Amy. And uh, glad that they could be able to come with me and uh, my better half and uh, love them. And I'm uh, thankful for them, thankful that they were able to come with me. Uh, Acts chapter number five in your Bibles. Acts chapter number five. I was telling Pastor this morning that uh, the auditorium looks great. Uh, the renovations look good. It wasn't. This nice last time I was here. Uh, good to see folks that were here last time. Thank you for your faithfulness. And uh, good to see some new faces as well. Uh, encouraging to see a church growing. And uh, for the babies too. They grow the church from the inside out. Amen. So uh, it's good to, good to see everyone here today. Uh, thank for those of you who were here last time. Thank you for not telling your pastor all the bad things I said about him so he could have me back. I appreciate that. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Acts chapter number five, I almost feel sorry for you guys. Uh, the, the pastor preached last time, last time on uh, the Lord is good on the day of trouble, and then this morning we preached on Daniel, uh, going through hard times and, and praying and give thanks as he did aforetime. And uh, now we're going to preach on a, a lesson from a Pharisee and uh, what some of the disciples had to go through and uh, some of the difficulties they, they faced. So... Uh, don't blame me for all the, uh, the difficulty sermons. Just blame the Lord, because apparently somebody, some of you are going to go through some difficulty soon. So, so don't blame me, all right? Acts chapter number five. Let's begin reading. Uh, let's see here. Don't want to read the whole passage. Verse number 33. Peter's just finished preaching to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and this big old council. And in verse number three, we pick up the Bible says, When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them, to slay the apostles. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had a reputation among all the people, and commanded to put forth, to put the apostles forth a little space. And said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do with touching these men. For before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about four hundred, joined themselves, who was slain. And all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of taxing, and 
drew away much people after him, he also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone, for if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply you be found even to fight against God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you would be with the reading of your word and the preaching of your word this morning. May uh, it be a blessing to all of us and encouragement. Would you use it to draw us closer to you? In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Solomon, thank you for the water. Oh, that's good. Thank you. If I wanted to learn about human equality, uh, the, the importance of human life, I wouldn't ask Adolf Hitler. If I wanted insight into the matter of marriage or uh, how to get along with my wife, how to communicate with my family, I wouldn't ask someone who's been divorced four, five, six, seven, who knows how many times. If I wanted instruction on proper speech or the English language or grammar, I'm not going to ask my 10-month-old who can't even speak. If I needed driving instructions, I'm not going to ask somebody who's been in multiple accidents. If I need advice on parenting, I'm not going to ask a single parent with no kids. If I want to learn the truth about Christianity, about growing closer to my God, if I wanted to learn more about the Word of God, about how it can make a difference in my life, the last person I'm going to ask is a Pharisee. A Pharisee. God has some uh, rough, some harsh things to say about Pharisees. In Matthew 12, 34, he says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Verse 38 in that passage, then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, an evil an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. In Matthew 23, Jesus again speaking about Pharisees, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore, ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold, more the child of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. So in just two passages, and only two passages, I'm not even going to read the rest of the passages that Christ talks about hypocrites, about Pharisees, but in just two passages, he calls them blind, fools, hypocrites, evil, vipers, and adulterous generation. They take advantage of widows. They pray long prayers just to be seen. And with their false teaching, they keep people from going into heaven. That's what Jesus Christ says about Pharisees. So if I want to learn more about Jesus Christ, I'm not going to ask about Pharisees. But in our passage today, a Pharisee, of all people, makes a profound statement that is going to encourage us today. 
Even though there are difficulties, even though there are trials and tests and tribulations, as we heard this morning in the life of Daniel, uh, we may go through those things. But if we get this point that this Pharisee made this morning, it'll encourage us. There are a few Pharisees in the Bible that receive Christ. Nicodemus, for example. Uh, Nicodemus goes unto Christ by night and, and says, pretty much, what must I do to be, do to be saved? He, he says, Master, I, we know that you are the Son of God. We, we know that you're sent from heaven. You, there's no way you can do all these miracles except you be the Son of God. So Nicodemus, for example, is one of those Pharisees who does receive Christ. So, so not all Pharisees are, are completely evil and, and just destructive and, and, and a hater of all that is good. But most of them, Jesus Christ accurately describes them in the book of Matthew. But in our passage, as we read, Gamaliel, he says in verse number 38, sorry, verse number 39, this, this profound statement, and I wanted to encourage us today. He says, but if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. If it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. Listen, I don't know what you're going through today. I, I, I don't pretend to know everything. But all I know is if you're living a life for Jesus Christ, if you're doing your best to uh, get closer to him every day, if you're uh, trying to have a good testimony, if it be of God, it can't be overthrown. If your life is, if you are aiming your life to live a life that is pleasing to Jesus Christ, if it be of God, it can't be overthrown. Uh, no matter what the devil no matter what the world, no matter what uh, your co-workers who, who d- don't appreciate your stand for Jesus Christ, no matter what you may go through, if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. A Pharisee says this, of all people. So today, we're going to learn about a lesson from a Pharisee. If it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. I, I want to encourage us with that today. Because uh, God's people are going through a difficult time. A lot of them. Uh, God's people are in a world today where, uh, like Pastor was uh, mentioning earlier, things are getting out of control. Uh, soon we'll, we'll be in a, a country where uh, they don't, uh, they'll make laws against our Christianity probably, and perhaps even one day we'll be thrown in jail for preaching the very word of God that I'm up here preaching this morning. Maybe. Maybe not in our lifetime, but, but soon. But if it be of God, it can't be overthrown. If it be of God, it can't be overthrown. The church in the book of Acts is experiencing major, major, major growth. In Acts chapter number one, the Holy Spirit comes down. And the, uh, Luke says in chapter one, it's like uh, cloven tongues of fire. The Holy Spirit just comes on this entire group and they all begin to speak in different languages. And they go out and preach the gospel in their area. And everybody that's there from, from different areas, from different walks of life, from different countries and different regions, they all hear the word of God preached in their own language. So the Holy Spirit is doing great things. And then in chapter 2, they, they're preaching again. And the Bible says, and then they that they, they, they gladly received the word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So just in one day... 3,000 people get saved and join the church. They're baptized. And then at the end of the chapter, the Bible says the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. 
So people are getting saved daily, and more and more members are being added to the church. So this church, the, the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, if you will, they're at about 3,000 plus right now in a matter of weeks. 3,000 people. So the church is growing off the charts. Then in chapter number three, Peter preaches again. 5,000 more people get saved, join the church. So the church is growing out of control. I mean, the Holy Spirit is moving. God is doing great things. So you can see the, whole, the, the, the Pharisees start to get a little anxious about their religious uh, ruling, if you will. You can see them start to get a little worried. Uh, wow, all these people are accepting Jesus Christ. Uh, they're not going to listen to us if, if, if they're, like we said this morning, responsibility is to Christ. Uh, they're they're going to stone us, probably. They, they don't care about us. Uh, everything about our ruling, uh, uh, they are the religious ruling body of, of Israel at this time. But if everybody goes away from the law and goes to Jesus Christ, uh, there is really no need for Pharisees and Sadducees. None whatsoever. So you can see their anxiousness starting to build up. And in chapter 4, chapter 3 and 4, Peter and John enter the temple. And a lame man is sitting there at the gate, and he asks for money. Peter looks at him, and he says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Lazarus, rise up and walk. And the man who has been lame for 40 years gets up, follows Peter and John into the temple, walking, leaping, and praising God. And so now, here are the Pharisees and Sadducees again. Uh, we know him. He's been sitting at the temple for 40 years. We know he's lame. How on earth is he walking? And here's Peter and John. Uh, why are you marveling? Why are you looking as though we've done some, some great thing? And Peter and John, again, preach Jesus Christ. Uh, the same God who you crucified and, and who God raised up from the dead, that same Jesus, he's the one who, rose that, who got that man to walk. It was Jesus. And Peter again preaches Jesus Christ and more folks are added to the church. More people get saved, more are added to the church, more are baptized. And this church is at 10,000 plus now. 10,000 plus. And the church is experiencing major growth. And then in our chapter, our chapter begins with the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Chapter number five. The church is doing great things. The Holy Spirit is moving. And now, nobody in the church has a need because everybody sells their houses, sells land, sells whatever they need to to make sure that everybody in the church is taken care of. Thankfully, we don't do that today. Otherwise, we'd all probably be broke and on the street somewhere. But this is what the Church of Jerusalem did. And they are loving on one another. They're giving to one another. Uh, they're doing great things. But Ananias and Sapphira, they decided to lie. And Ananias and Sapphira come up with this plan. Uh, let's decide to sell our land, but let's tell them we sold it for this much and we keep the rest. So Ananias goes in first. He goes up to Peter. Peter, here's the money that we sold our land for. Give it to the church. Use it however you see fit. And Peter says, uh, Ananias, why have you tempted the Holy Spirit? You've not lied unto man, but you've lied unto God. And Ananias drops dead right there. Drops dead. 
Again, thankfully, this is not how the church operates today. Because if one of us lied today, we'd have been gone a long time ago. But Ananias dropped it right there. The men come from the back. They pick up his body. They go and bury him. His wife comes in later, not knowing what happened. I don't know how. Because if somebody just drops dead for lying to a preacher, it's got to be told elsewhere. It's got to happen. But somehow she comes in, doesn't know what's happening. Tells Peter the same story. Peter, here's the money we sold from, from the church. Peter, again, asks the same question. Why have you tempted the Holy Spirit? You have not lied unto man, but you've lied unto God. She, too, drops from right dead, right there. He says, the men, who have, uh, the men who buried your husband will come up and bury you, too. And she drops dead. They carry her out. And again, this is all the power of the Holy Spirit on the church. So, again, you can imagine why the Pharisees and the Sadducees are so upset that Peter and John are preaching Jesus Christ. Because God is doing great things in the church. And they don't want to lose their religious authority. So they've already thrown Peter and John in jail once. Already. Before our chapter, they've already thrown them in jail once. And threatened them, saying, uh, stop preaching Jesus Christ. We want our religious authority. We want it. We want to rule. Stop preaching Jesus Christ. Peter and John said, whether we ought to listen to you or whether we ought to listen to God, you be the judge. You be the judge. But we are going to preach Jesus Christ. So they leave, and they do exactly that. And then, in our chapter, again, they're preaching Jesus Christ. Let's go back. Let's look at it. Verse number 17 Let's, let's read verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord on Solomon's porch. And of the resters, no man joined himself to them, but the people magnified them. And so remember, we talked about 10,000 people plus, verse 14. And believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes of both, women and women, of both men and women. We're past numbers now. We're past trying to keep track of First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. We're, we're, try, we're done trying to keep track of the numbers. It's multitudes now. Multitudes at this church. So the Pharisees and Sadducees are extremely, extremely worried about their religious authority. Verse 17, then the high priest rose up and all that were with him, just a sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. Oh, they hated them. Hated them. They could see their religious authority slipping through their fingers. They hated the apostles. And now, Peter and John find themselves in another interrogation. And another one. And all these Pharisees, all these Sadducees, all these chief rulers have gathered themselves together and started interrogating Peter and John because of them preaching Jesus Christ. And so we'll pick up there and we'll learn some things. Why? If it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. If it be of God, you cannot over. There are a number of reasons throughout the Bible. We, we can talk about God's power. We can talk about uh, that nobody can, can overthrow his plan. He saw, we talk about all those things. There, there are a number of other scriptures in the Bible. But we're going to learn from them, this passage. Why, if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Number one, in verse number 25, let's start in verse 17. Verse 18, we read 17 already. And laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. So here's Peter and John in prison again. Again, they've already been in prison once. They threatened him and let him go. Said, stop preaching Jesus Christ. 
Verse number 19, they're in prison, but the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, go stand and speak in the temple to, all, to the people all the words of this life. Number one, the reason why if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it is because in opposition, there is deliverance. In opposition, there is deliverance. Peter and John are in jail again. Uh, the, the soldiers have laid their hands on them again. They're, they're not having it. So the disciples are in prison. And the Bible says, in the middle of the night, an angel comes and opens up the doors. Now, I would have liked to have been Peter or John in this situation. It would have been really cool uh, just to see an angel. First off, just to see an angel, that'd be cool. But then to be in prison and to have an angel open up the door and later in the passage, you'll, we, we'll see, uh, they go to the prison the next morning and they say, we found everything the way we found it last night when we left it. No guards were asleep. The guard was still at the door. The, the doors were locked. Uh, everybody was there last night. But when we came this morning, the guards were still awake. The, the doors were still locked. But nobody was inside. So... Like I said, it would have been really cool to see this. And the guard didn't even realize it, okay? The guard had no idea. So the angel literally, uh, I don't know, he either had to frozen time, which, which is possible in, in, with the power of God. He either froze time, opened the doors, got all the prisoners out, and, and put time back in place. Or he made Peter and John invisible, and the door opening invisible, and the guard just thought everything was okay. However the angel did it, it's the power of God. But I just would have liked to have been there to see an angel. And to see an angel open up the prison door, tell me to go preach Jesus Christ, close the door, leave the guard, and everything supposedly looks the same the way it did. That, that's, that's, that's what the Bible says. Let's look at the verse. Verse number 22. Uh, verse number 21. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. They do exactly what the angel says. But the high priest came and they, they were with him and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. So now, this interrogation that Peter and John were in, all the, all the Pharisees and Sadducees and chief rulers, they go send for Peter and John. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found me shut with all safety. The prison was shut. The doors were locked. And the keeper standing without before the doors. The guards are right there. But when we had opened, we found no man within. We found no man. Literally, we, we left everything the way it was last night. And there are no prisoners in there. I don't know what to tell you guys. So here's the angel. Here's God, really. Delivering his people in the midst of opposition. Why? Because they were preaching Jesus Christ. God has a much bigger plan than for Peter and John than for them to sit in prison. He says, no, no, I've got a story for you to tell. The, the angel is going to open up the door for you, tell you to go and preach the word of God. Word of God so go preach. Preach Jesus Christ. Psalm 23, like we talked about this morning, says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God may lead through difficult times. 
For Peter and John, it was God leading them through prison. And then it was God opening up the doors in the middle of the night and leading them out of prison. But in opposition, there is deliverance. We talked about it a little bit this morning in the Sunday school hour. There is going to be difficulty for God's children. There's going to be plenty of opposition. We've seen that all the time. Nobody at the job is going to like your stand for God. Maybe your community, maybe your neighborhood, no one's going to like your stand for God. They might not like the trash you hand out in your neighborhood. They might not like the stand you take for God, but in opposition, there is deliverance. In your trials and your tests and your tribulations, there is going to be deliverance. You are not always going to be in difficult times. It may feel like it sometimes, but you're not always going to be in difficult times. God will bring you through. He will deliver you because our God is a deliverer. We saw that in the life of Daniel this morning. God delivered Daniel. Why? Because he had faith and focus on God. God is going to deliver. In opposition, there is deliverance. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 6 says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, for, though now for a season, for only for a little bit of time, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, and that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Peter says, these, difficult, these trials that you're going through, it's for you to be gold presented to Jesus Christ. Uh, for, for you to be uh, unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen ye love, and whom though ye see him not, ye believe, ye rejoice with unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. In opposition, God can bring about opportunity. In my tragedy, God can bring about triumph. In my problems, God can bring about possibilities. In my hurt, God can bring about healing. In my test, God can give me a testimony. In the fire, God wants to make me faithful. In my struggle, he can make me a good soldier. But God is using opposition to make you and me more like Christ. So embrace it. Embrace the troubles. Embrace the difficulties. Why? Because you'll end up being more like Jesus Christ. I've often heard that greatness comes through adversity. If you read about the great men and women of history, you'll often find a background that was very troubled. Uh, you'll often find a, a background fraught with difficulty. Uh, just, just think about any great person in history you want to, and if you think about their history, you'll know they went through a tough time. But their greatness was forged through adversity. God wants to make you a great Christian. God wants to make you a great soldier. God wants to make you closer to him. God wants to make you more like him through adversity. Good times never made anybody great. Easy times Never made anybody great. But here's Peter and John in prison preaching Jesus Christ and released because they were again preaching Jesus Christ. In opposition, there is deliverance. Psalm 32, David says, Thou art my hiding place, thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. David, as we spoke of this morning, very familiar with trouble. But 
when you think about the great kings in Israel's history, one of the first people you'll think of is David. Why? Because David went through a lot of difficulty, but God used it to make him more like God said of David, thou were a man after mine own heart. Why? Because David went through a lot of trouble, but God used it to make him more like him. Greatness is forced through adversity. In opposition, there's deliverance. God is a deliverer. He's a deliverer. Relish in that fact this morning. Be encouraged by the fact that God is a deliverer. Be encouraged by that. It doesn't matter what you may be going through. God is a deliverer. If your troubles are are weighing you down, God is a deliverer. If you're going through difficult times at home, if you're going through difficult times at work, God is a deliverer. So be encouraged by it. In opposition, there is deliverance. Have you experienced God's deliverance this morning? Have you experienced it personally? Has God brought you through some things? Have you experienced personally the deliverance of God? If you haven't, I encourage you to call out to him. Call out to him. And be encouraged by the fact that in opposition there is deliverance. But number two, if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. If it be of God, whatever you're doing in life, if it be of God, it can't be overthrown. Why? Because in opposition there is deliverance. But number two, in opportunity, there is boldness. In opportunity, there is boldness. Look at verse number 26 in our passage. The Bible says, Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. So Peter and John are again in the temple. The angel has delivered them. The angel said, Go and preach all the words of this life. Preach Jesus Christ. So they go. They preach Jesus Christ. And now the, the interrogation committee, they have figured out that they're in the temple preaching. The, the guys that were in prison last night uh, that you told us I preaching Jesus Christ, they're preaching Jesus Christ again in the temple. So the captain and the officers go get them. Verse 27, and when they brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest asked them saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse number 29, notice what Peter says. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Look at Peter's boldness. Peter has already been in prison twice by this time. Twice. Once he was let go, then the other one he was delivered by an angel. Peter uh, is aware of the fact that these people want him gone. They don't like his doctrine. They don't like the fact that they're preaching Jesus, uh, they don't like anything about the apostles. Uh, again, their religious authority is slipping through their fingers. Didn't we tell you to stop preaching in this man's name? We've already put you in prison twice. What else do we need to do? Peter says, we ought to obey God rather than men. Uh, this time, Peter's a little more frank in, what, in the way he says it. Last time, he said, uh, whether we ought to listen to you or, or whether we ought to listen to God, you be the judge. You figure it out. You really think about whether we're going to listen to you or whether we're going to listen to God. This time, Peter's a little more frank. He says, we ought to obey God rather than men. They didn't get it last time, apparently, Peter thought. So Peter says, we ought to obey God rather than men. Peter's boldness. And again, for the next 10, 15 verses, 
Peter preaches Jesus Christ. Not to the Jews, not to, not to those outside the temple, but to the very Pharisees and Sadducees and the chief rulers that put him in prison. Peter's boldness. An opportunity, there is boldness. Proverbs 28, 1, the Bible says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Peter has boldness. It cannot be overthrown if it's of God, because in opportunity there is boldness. God gives boldness to those who are doing what he tells them to do. When you're giving out the gospel, have you ever experienced uh, a certain boldness come over the Holy Spirit just come over you and, and, and verses that you didn't even uh, recall automatically uh, just, just come to your mind and, and you're giving out the gospel and somebody gets saved or, or you're at work and somebody asks you about your testimony and, and maybe you're a little, uh, a little frightened, but, but you're in your boldness and the Holy Spirit gives you boldness and, and you declare Jesus Christ unto them. Have you ever experienced that boldness and opportunity? Boldness and opportunity. Hugh Latimer once preached before King Henry VII. King Henry VII was known as a very violent man, a, a man who would put to death anyone who displeased him. And Henry was greatly displeased by the boldness in the sermon and ordered Latimer to preach again on the following Sunday and apologize for the offense that he had given. The next Sunday, after reading his text, he thus began his sermon. Hugh Latimer, dost thou know before whom thou art this day to preach? To the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away thy life if thou offendest. Therefore, take heed that thou comest, thou, thou speakest not a word that may displease. But then, consider well, Hugh, dost thou not know from whence thou comest, upon whose message thou art sent? Even by the great and mighty God who is all present and who beholdeth all the ways and who is able to cast thy soul into hell. Therefore, take care that thou deliverest thy message faithfully. He then preached the same sermon he had preached the preceding Sunday and with considerably more energy. When you're doing what God has called you to do, do it with boldness. Uh, when you're living your life, uh, whatever you may be doing, whatever you're called to do, do it with boldness. Uh, don't be afraid of taking a stand for Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid of, of living up his name. Uh, don't be afraid to share the word of God with other people. Do what you do with boldness. Because Jesus Christ has called us to live a life that's pleasing to him. Fear or faith? Fear or boldness? If you're going to take a stand in this day and age... It's going to take some boldness. If you're going to live a life pleasing to Jesus Christ in this day and age, it's going to take some boldness. The people on your job that need Jesus, it's going to take some boldness. The people in your neighborhood, whatever it may be, the people that need to hear about Jesus Christ, it's going to take some boldness. But we've got to be like Peter. And even though these folks wanted to throw him in prison, Peter was bold in declaring Jesus Christ. So we've got to be bold. And declaring Jesus Christ. Why? People need to hear about him. Uh, there's a, 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 a lost world that's on its way to hell if we don't tell them about Jesus. So have some boldness. Have some boldness. If it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Why? Number one, because in opposition there's deliverance. Number two, in opportunity there is boldness. 
But number three, would you notice with me, in obstinance, there is a light. In obstinance, there is a light. What do I mean by that? I mean that God can use anybody. These Pharisees, Sadducees, chief rulers, obstinate bunch, uh, ignorant of the ways of God, uh, willingly ignorant, matter of fact. Remember Nicodemus? He said, we know that thou art the Son of God. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was part of this group. He said, we know. What does he mean by that? He said, all the, in his head, he realizes, all of these guys know that this has to be the Son of God. He, this guy couldn't do what he does. He, he couldn't do the miracles he does. He couldn't raise people from the dead. He couldn't heal the sick. He, could, he couldn't uh, make the lame walk. He couldn't do that if he weren't the Son of God. Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, said, we know that thou art sent from heaven. So the Pharisees knew that this was the Son of God, the sent one, the Messiah. And they were willingly ignorant to accept him as their Savior. Willingly. They were obstinate. So, but in obstinance, there's a light. There is a bright spot in all this darkness. Gamaliel. Gamaliel is a Pharisee. Gamaliel is the one who tells them, leave these men alone. Gamaliel is the one that says, if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. This is a Pharisee speaking. A Pharisee. And he gives us this profound statement. If it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. In obstinance, there is a light. God can use anybody. Even at your job, folks that may not even know Jesus Christ, God can use them to give you favor. Uh, Your boss. Uh, God is giving you favor uh, at work, perhaps. So your boss gives you a raise. Maybe out of nowhere. God uses that person to be a blessing to his child. Uh, In your community, maybe somebody stops by with with a home-baked meal. You're you're tired. You come home from work. Uh, You you didn't have time to get dinner on the table. Uh, Husbands and wife are sick. Uh, Somebody brings over a fresh-cooked meal. Why? They, they don't know Jesus Christ, but God uses them to be a blessing to his child. God can use anybody. We were uh, going to dinner. Uh, it was my wife's birthday a, f- a few months ago. And um, honestly, I didn't have the money. This was a more expensive place. Uh, one of those cool places where they, um, where they fix all the food in front of you with a cool fire and they do all the tricks and all that good stuff. Yeah, one of those places. And... Uh, we decided to go, and I decided it was for my wife. I'm going to give her a nice birthday present, a nice birthday dinner. And uh, we go in, and on our way in, uh, a huge group, about 20 people, uh, they were a little rude in the way that they kind of, you know, walked all over us just to try and get to the, the hostess. And, um, you know, we were just polite. I, I held the door open for the, for the group. And um, the last guy that comes in, he... Um, he says, sorry about them. I, I didn't think of anything of it. And um, we just went about our meal. And uh, to be honest with you, the guy looked like he was, he was part, of the, part of the mafia. <laughs> um, I, I didn't, not to judge or anything, but I, I, don't, ex- I don't expect these people to be uh, believers of Jesus Christ. It, it just didn't look that way to me. They, they very well may have been. But it didn't look that way. 
And uh, we went about dinner. We, we got our dinner and everything. Uh, got some nice steak and chicken and rice. It was great. And um, told the, the waitress it was my wife's birthday. They came and got her a little cake um, with a candle on it. Everybody sang happy birthday. It was, it was cool. But at the end of our dinner, uh, it's time to get the check and everything. And um, my receipt, you know, in the little, in the little tablet thing, it says zero dollars on it. All it has is birthday cake and zero dollars on it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're thinking, okay, uh, at first I was a little confused, but then I was like, oh, somebody must have paid for it. But I have no idea who. And we talked to the waitress. I, I asked her, um, I was like, you know, this says zero dollars, right? And uh, she says, yes, I, I wasn't supposed to say anything, but the guy over there, he paid for it. I was like, And um, it was the huge group with the rude people uh, who the guy at the end said, sorry about them. It, it, it was him. He paid for it. All that to say, God used somebody who probably maybe never even, has never even heard of Jesus Christ to be a blessing to his people, who, a husband who has not enough money to take his wife to this nice restaurant. He used somebody who's not a believer in in darkness, somebody who's in darkness to be a light. So all I'm saying is God uses certain people to be a blessing to you because you're doing his will. That's cool. Be encouraged by the fact that when you're doing God's will, God's going to take care of you. God God has his hand on his children. When you're doing God's will, he's going to bless you. He's going to take care of you. You'll find yourself in situations that you have no idea how you're going to get out. And the hand of God comes down and does something supernatural. So be encouraged by the fact that God is a deliverer. That God uses other people to be a blessing to you, even when you don't know it. God takes care of his children. I went a little long in the, in the Sunday school hour, so we're going to be short. We're, going to, we're almost done. If it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Number one, in opposition, there's deliverance. Number two, in opportunity, there's boldness. Number three, in obstinance, there is light. When you take a stand for the Lord, even the heathen can be a blessing. Lastly, in oppression, there is joy. In oppression, there's joy. Look at verse number 40 in our chapter. As the train passes by. Verse number 40, the Bible says, And to him they agreed, this is after Gamaliel has said this, said, if if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Listen, this is the same group that had the power to see to it that Peter and John were killed. You know how I know that? Because they did the same thing with Jesus. Nothing about Jesus' prosecution was legal. Uh, When when you read a little bit about the history of it, uh, and you read the, the the, the, the laws of the Jews, even they said it themselves... Uh, we cannot lawfully put a man to death. They, they told that to Caesar. But this is the same group that, in all honesty, 
probably could have done the same thing and made sure that Peter and John were killed. But because of what something, something one man said, a, a heathen, no, no less. If it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. They agreed, verse number 40. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Here they are again. They, they've been in prison twice. Now they've been beaten. But they're not dead. And again, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and chief rulers let them go. And threatened them, don't preach in the name of Jesus. Verse number 41, and they departed from the presence of the council. Don't take my word for it. In oppression there's joy. What's what's the next verse? What's what's the next word say? Talk to me now. Verse 41, and they departed from the presence of the council. What? They've just been imprisoned. They've just been beaten. And now they're rejoicing. Rejoicing. Why? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a testimony. If I'm thrown in jail and I'm beaten for preaching to you today the word of God, I'm not going, even if I am let go, I'm not going to come out rejoicing. I'll be honest with you. I'm not coming out rejoicing. It's not happening. I'm going to pray, God, rain down fire on those who put me in prison, uh, 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 torture them, do whatever you have to, get my revenge for me. That's all I'm thinking. But the disciples, that wasn't the case. They left rejoicing that they could suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. In oppression, there's joy. Why? If it be of God, it can't be overthrown. Why? Because when God's people are oppressed and they are close to Jesus, you'll find that they rejoice when they can suffer for Jesus' name. It's not easy. It's not easy. But when you rejoice and you're still close to God in your circumstances, people start to take notice. When a family member dies and your coworkers at work know about it and they still see you praying at your lunch hour and they still see you reading your Bible and they still see a smile on your face and they still, still see the kindness that you exude, uh, they're going to start to wonder, what's so different about, why are you happy when your relative just died? Uh, a pastor just the car situation, the house situation. If Pastor had a smile on his face and, 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 and was praising the Lord about all this stuff, and somebody asked him about it, he, God did it. Why am I still happy? Why am I still rejoicing? Why am I still praising my God? Why? Because in oppression, there's joy. My God is still good, even though my circumstances are not. God doesn't change, so why should my attitude toward him change? God is still good, so I'm going to rejoice. Even though my circumstances aren't pretty, even though I'm having difficulty, even though I'm in trials, tests, and tribulations, God is still good. So I'm going to rejoice. That's why they were rejoicing. They can suffer shame for his name. They've experienced the goodness of God. So they're going to rejoice, even though they're suffering. 
and oppression, there's joy. They remain faithful. Again, James 1, verses 2 and 3, the Bible says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 10, the Bible says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all men are evil against you. He says, blessed are you. You're blessed when people do this to you, when people persecute you. And he says, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Why? Rejoice even though you're going through difficulty. Why? Jesus says, for great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. Uh, You want to have a great reward in heaven? Uh, Rejoice. And your persecutions. Uh, rejoice in your difficulties. Rejoice even though things are not going well. Great is your reward in heaven. Turn to Acts chapter number 22. Acts chapter number 22, and we'll finish here. Paul is speaking. Paul the Apostle. The, in my opinion, the greatest Christian, uh, the greatest man of the earth outside of Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle. The reason you have half of the New Testament, Paul. The reason we have the, the, the Bible in our language today pretty much can be traced back to Paul. Uh, unless you're a Jew in here today, the reason you have the Bible is pretty much Paul. So here's Paul speaking in, verse number, in chapter number 22. Verse number one, the Bible says, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. Verse two, and when they heard that, he spake up in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he saith, I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Do you remember who said, if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it? Gamaliel. So go back to Acts chapter number five. Before Paul ever starts persecuting Christians, which is four chapters later, he's still at the feet of Gamaliel. And I believe Paul is in this very room. And Gamaliel's influence on Paul literally changed the entire New Testament. Here's the seeds of Paul's conversion being placed right here in our chapter. If it be of God, he cannot overthrow it. He's at, he is Gamaliel's student. And Gamaliel says something like, if it be of God, he cannot overthrow it. That's not the, the natural Pharisee way of thinking. But here is Paul, the apostle sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, and he hears, if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. And Paul's situation has completely changed. Even though he goes and starts persecuting Christians, the seed has already been planted for, for Paul to be converted. And the light shines out from heaven on the road to Damascus. And Paul sees Jesus Christ and is converted and changes his course of direction and is the greatest apostle, apostle in the New Testament and spreads the gospel across the entire Eastern Hemisphere. 
But it started with somebody who in obstinance there was light. Somebody who didn't believe God. Somebody who was a Pharisee. Saying a simple phrase. If it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. But it influenced Paul. Here's the thing. The people around you, uh, your family, your friends, your church family, the people in your neighborhood, they need to know that if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. They need to know about Jesus Christ. Uh, And the people around you, the people that are here today, uh, I'll I'll assume that at least most, if not all, uh, of the folks in here have accepted Christ as their Savior. The people around you need to see God. Because you never know who you're influencing. I assure you, Gamaliel had no idea that he was influencing the greatest Christian in the New Testament. Uh, The reason the gospel was spread to the Gentiles, the reason in America we would even have the gospel. Gamaliel had no idea. But he decided that he was going to speak up for God, really. He decided to speak up. And because of one man's boldness, another man changed the entire New Testament pretty much. So live your life for God. Whatever you've decided to do, whatever God has called you to do, do it with boldness. Why? If it be of God, he cannot overthrow it. Because in opportunity... There is boldness. In oppression, there is joy. Martin Luther said, if we consider the greatness and the glory of the life we shall have when we have risen from the dead, it would not be difficult at all for us to bear the concerns of this world. If I believe the word, I shall on the last day, after the sentence has been pronounced, not only gladly have suffered ordinary temptations, insults, and imprisonment, But I shall also say, oh, that I did not throw myself under the feet of all the godless for the sake of the great glory, which I now see revealed and which has come to me through the merit of Christ. If it be of God, he cannot overthrow it. Now, by simple implication, if it's not of God, don't expect it to succeed. If you're not doing what God has called you to do, don't expect success. But if you're doing what God has called you to do, it can't be overthrown. And if you follow God, surrender to his purpose, surrender to his will, be encouraged today. Because nothing that comes against you will succeed. Because if it be of God, it can't be overthrown. If it be of God, it cannot, it cannot, cannot be overthrown. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the word of God. Thank you for Peter and John, for their examples, for Gamaliel, for this profound statement, helping us to be encouraged that if it be of God, if we're doing what you've called us to do, then we can be encouraged. It can't be overthrown. God, help us, God, help us to be encouraged with that today. We love you and we thank you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. His bowed and eyes closed. Pastor.